before we begin, uh, as we're handing out the, uh, the information, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you now in this time and we thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given us in your word, Lord, instruction. You have given to us guidance. You have given to us truth. Lord, and so we pray that uh, as we think about and we seek to learn more about this topic of fasting, that we would not give ourselves over to the wisdom and counsel of men, but to the wisdom of your word, that we would submit ourselves to it. We pray, O oh God, that you would truly bless this time, or that it would be used for your glory and for the upbuilding of your people, that we might grow more and more in our likeness to Christ. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. So as we have been coming into the fall and into this time of focusing our attention on the spiritual disciplines, one thing that has been laid upon my heart as well as the staff is that we feel that the Lord is laying the groundwork to begin to do a great work among us, a work of revival and renewal here at Rivermont. Now, that might not necessarily be marked by what we would call outwardly or worldly success. When we think about revival, sometimes we can have more worldly understanding of what that means. What we mean by that is that there would be a marked increase in Christ-likeness among the people of Rivermont. You see, that's what revival truly is. It's not necessarily all the things that you can mark outwardly. It is as God moves in such a way that people grow in Christ-likeness. And so, in response to that, in feeling that the Lord is leading us in that way, we have begun this sermon series on the spiritual disciplines that we might following the directives of God's Word, grow in our likeness to Christ, even as Pastor Shane preached this morning, if you were here for that, that as we pray, we pray to grow in likeness to Christ. Now, a few of the traits that we might look to when we say growing in Christ's likeness, this is not all of them, but three that I think are very important is humility, love, and power. Humility, love, and power. When we look at the life of Christ, what we see is, we see a man who is meek, one who is low, one who lays his life down in love for service of others, but somewhat counterintuitively, this man of meekness, this man who is giving his life for others, is also a man who speaks with great authority and power. When we look at the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He talks about how he doesn't preach with words of wisdom and eloquence, but in great weakness and trembling, so that the power of God might show forth through him. And if God is going to bring a work of renewal and revival among the body here at Rivermont, it's going to be accomplished by us first taking the steps towards humility and lowliness and love. And then we will begin to walk in the power to speak into people's lives, to overcome the power of the flesh, to see our neighbors come to Christ, to see our family members come to Christ. Not when we come forward with our words of wisdom, our strategies, but when we walk forth in humility 
allowing the Spirit to shine forth in power. Now, as I've said, we have started this sermon series on the spiritual disciplines because these are very practical ways for us to grow in Christ-likeness. But there is one way in particular that I feel is very powerful in the life of a Christian and one that is often neglected. And it is the discipline of fasting. Now, I believe that the main reason behind this lack of fasting in our culture and in the church today is that it goes against the very grain of our cultural bent towards self-gratification. You see, self-denial is not a big selling point in the church, right? Hey, why don't you come to our church? We're really, really denying ourselves lately, right? You want to say, oh, look at our programs, look at the good things. We, we're going to attract people so th- by things that they might be gratified of their own flesh. But the reality is, as I said, that we should be seeking the way of Christ. Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we would follow Christ, if we would grow in Christ's likeness, we must begin to see very tangible ways in which we can deny ourselves as Christ denied himself for the sake of of humility and love and ultimately power. So, this is what we are called to do. To humble ourselves. To deny ourselves. Particularly, we'll see, through the practice of fasting. So what I want to do this morning is walk through first a definition of what it means to fast as a Christian. Then I want to next show you that the Bible actually does teach us to do this. I'm not just trying to be mean. The Bible does teach us to do this. Next, give you some reasons that God's Word gives us to fast. And finally, some practical advice on fasting. So, first, what is Fasting. Well, in your sheet that you have, I put a very simple definition that we'll walk through. It is that fasting occurs when a Christian voluntarily abstains from eating for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. When a Christian voluntarily abstains from eating for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Now, of course, non-Christians can fast but it is not the same as a biblical fast. What we're talking about is a spiritual discipline, and there is no spiritual value in just not eating. So we need to remember that when we engage in fasting, that we are fasting first as Christians. We are fasting as those who look to Christ alone for our acceptance before God. One of the big struggles that we can encounter when we begin to practice the spiritual disciplines is that we think that through the discipline we're gaining more and more acceptance before God, that we're more and more holy. If you engage in fasting, you look at people who are eating and you think, oh my goodness, look at those unholy people stuffing their faces with their lunch. I'm so holy. The reality is we're not fasting so that we could gain holiness before the Lord. Actually, we're doing it 
in some sense, for the opposite reason, so that we might become more weak. Because when you fast, you will begin to see how sinful you are. You actually get, in some ways, more sinful, more judgmental. It comes out in you. We're not fasting so that we would be more holy and have more power of ourselves. We're doing it so that we would be weak and rest more and more in Christ alone. And so when we fast, we must fast as Christians looking to Christ and His life alone for righteousness. Looking to His cross, to His death alone for our forgiveness of sins. We're not atoning for our sins through fasting. We look to Christ alone for that. Second, fasting is voluntary. You see, if it is not voluntary, then it's not a fast, it's punishment. You're not fasting if you're being starved or if you're in the middle of a famine. You might take that opportunity to fast since it's convenient, but technically you're not fasting if you are just without food, if it's for some medical procedure that you have. Just because you aren't eating before your medical procedure doesn't mean that you are fasting as a Christian or in a biblical way. You can, but it doesn't mean that you are. And therefore, the church does not have the right to require a particular fast to say to you, you must, as a Christian, fast on this day and in this manner. The church doesn't have the right to do that. A fast must be voluntary. Now, I can ask you to fast. I can call the church to a fast. I can call for certain days of prayer and fasting. But if it is not done voluntarily, if there is not a voluntary response to that call, then it is not fasting. It is just coercion. Third, fasting is to abstain from eating. Now, some people have sought to expand fasting to other aspects of life. Fasting from things like media. I once did a sleeping fast. That didn't work out real well. Um, (laughs) April can tell you about that. Fasting from sports. Fasting from all sorts of different things in our lives. Good things in our lives that we give up and we say, well, I'm fasting from those things. And there might be great value in abstaining from things like that. from abstaining from media, from abstaining from certain indulgences or certain types of food. But fasting is in relation to giving up food. Giving up all food for a period of time. You see, again, there are people who cannot do that. They have a legitimate reason why they cannot fast. There's a medical reason why they cannot do that. And there should be no shame in that. If you have a medical reason why you cannot do that, or if you have struggled with eating disorders in the past, this is not something that you should engage in. I would encourage anybody who is going to think about fasting to ask their doctor, medical professional, before they engage in it. But when we look at the Bible, when we look at what fasting is, fasting is a practice of abstaining from eating for a period of of time, only drinking water during that period of time. And so I would encourage you, if there is no medical reason why you can't fast from food, I would encourage that that be what you fast from. Fourth, it's a period of time. 
It is wise to have a period of time set beforehand so that you know what you're getting into. There is a huge difference between fasting for 24 hours and fasting for a week or fasting for three weeks. And each of these fasts must be uh, prepared for beforehand in a way that is specific to that fast. And so you need to know how long you are planning on doing it. Now at the end of our time, I'm going to be, and you can even see on there, calling us as a body, voluntarily, calling us as a body to begin to engage in monthly fasting. But this is a 24-hour fast. This is not something that I'm asking you to do a week-long fast, a two-week-long fast, a three-week fast. What I am asking is a 24-hour period in which you abstain from eating if it is medically okay for you to do so, in which you only consume water and the Word of God and prayer. Fifth, fasting is for a spiritual purpose. If you decide to fast to lose weight or to balance your blood sugar levels or to cleanse your body from toxins, I don't know if any of that works, but if that's what you're trying to do with it, fine, that's okay, you can do that. But it's not the same as fasting as for a spiritual discipline. You see, when we fast, we are called to have a particular spiritual purpose in mind that we are focusing our attention on. We'll explore some of these in a few moments, but you'll see there in your handout that the fasting that we are calling you to Each one of these fasts has a particular focus that we are asking you to pray about, to think about, to offer to the Lord during this time of our fasting. So again, fasting occurs when a Christian voluntarily abstains from eating for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Now, does the Bible actually teach us to do this? Is this something that God's Word calls us to do? Well, as you read through the Bible, you'll find that fasting is spoken of very often. Who could think of some of the fasts that are spoken of? Who fasted in the Bible? Esther. Jesus. Moses. Alright, some pretty good guys in there. Anybody else that you can think of? Paul. John, John the Baptist, David, Nehemiah, the prophets. Fasting is, by example, shown over and over and over again in God's Word. And if it were only by these examples that we were given, it would would be enough to recommend us and teach us to this spiritual discipline. But we are not just given examples, we are given explicit teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are expected to fast. In your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 6. It is the Sermon on the Mount. And we read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Based upon the topic of what we're talking about, and the little label heading above this section, I bet you know it's on. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head 
wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what are some things that we learn about fasting from these verses? I think that the most striking thing for us today is that Jesus says the phrase, when, when you fast. He doesn't say, if you fast, if you happen to fast, if you think about fasting. He says, when you fast. From these words, we realize that Jesus expects those who follow him, he expects his disciples to engage in the practice of fasting. We should not take this lightly. He uses the exact same phrase of both giving and of praying here in chapter 6. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. He says, thus, when you give to the needy. When you give. And then later in verse 5 of chapter 6. When you pray. And then in verse 16. When you fast. What else do we learn from this text? We learn that Jesus expects us to fast. We see also that there is a spiritual purpose of fasting. And that spiritual purpose is lost. If we practice our fasting for the purpose of being seen by others. If you want other people to see you and be impressed, then that's your reward. Maybe that's enough for you. I want to look really spiritual. And so I'm going to fast. I'm going to go around and be like, oh man. Oh, I'm so hungry for God. I'm so holy. I'm not like all those other people out there. Right? No, Jesus says, don't do it in that way. Now, I think that because of that teaching, sometimes we neglect the practice of corporate fasting because we think, well, it needs to be done in secret. So if I put out a church-wide calendar and say, hey, we're all going to be fasting on this day, you're like, well, you've received your reward like that, so I'm not going to fast. No, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't do corporate fasting. Actually, we see corporate fasting is, in many ways, what is the the norm for people. There, Sometimes people are called to specific fast, but normally it is a group of people fasting together, fasting and praying together. And so what Jesus is teaching us is that when we fast, we should not do it to gain the approval of other people. There needs to be a spiritual purpose behind it. A purpose in which the Lord says, the Lord Jesus teaches us that God will reward us. That the Lord will reward us. We see that in verse 18. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but that by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Hebrews teaches us, without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You see, again, we see this, this, um, this theme of seeking weakness, of seeking secretiveness almost in our fasting, because we don't want 
are fasting to be empowered by other people being impressed and therefore things get done. We want our fasting to cause us to be weak so that our Father who sees us in our weakness will reward us towards the spiritual benefit which we are seeking after. Not us, but Him. And so we fast because the Lord Jesus taught us to fast. Matthew chapter 9. If you flip over there, we continue to learn about fasting. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 15. A question about fasting. And then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay? John the Baptist, his disciples are fasting. The Pharisees, they're fasting. We learn from history that the Pharisees would fast twice a week for a 24-hour period. This is what godly people do. This is something that the Bible teaches us to do. Those who want to follow after God, they are called to fast. So Jesus, why is it that your disciples are not doing this? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, real quickly, who's the bridegroom? Jesus, right? So Jesus is saying, I am with them right now. Okay, so they're not fasting right now. And the reason they're not fasting is because I'm here. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. No one puts on a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, so both are preserved. Now, this uh, image that Jesus is giving us is one of doing things in their proper time, in their proper way. Right? It's not the proper time to put um, to put the fresh are the old wine into new wineskins, right? That just isn't proper. And so what he's saying is, it's not proper for those who follow me to fast while I'm around. But I am leaving. And there will be a time when I am not here amongst my disciples as I am now. And at that time, they will fast. You see... It's not proper to fast during a wedding celebration. It's not proper to fast on something like Christmas or to fast on Thanksgiving, right? Don't do that in a couple of weeks from now, a month from now when you're celebrating Thanksgiving. Don't say, oh, I'm fasting. (laughs) Are you fasting? It's Thanksgiving. Don't fast on your wedding anniversary. I did that one time. It did not work out very well. I was like, well, what do you want to do? They're not going to go out to eat. (laughs) Maybe we should pray and be holy. Um, (laughs) For more antics about how I've messed up. uh, No. Um, (laughs) Come to our talk on marriage. Um, Right, you you don't fast at times of rejoicing, times of joy. 
there is an aspect of that fasting is a time of mourning, a time of crying out for saying things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And therefore, I'm going to seek the Lord to change things, to move because things are not the way that they are called to be. And so when Jesus is present, it's not the time to fast. But Jesus is not with us now in the way that he will be someday. Now we understand that he is present with us by his spirit. And there's a great joy and blessing in that. But we also know that his presence, his manifest presence, will come down among us one day when He returns. And He will make all things new. And we feel in our bodies, we feel in our families, we feel in our hearts that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. That we are pilgrims going to a land that is different from this land. A land that will be renewed. One that will be freed from hardship and suffering and sin. And so in that way, the Lord Jesus Christ is absent. And if He is our bridegroom and we are the bride, should we not, as the bride, mourn until our bridegroom comes and call out to Him and ask for His return, saying unto Him, we desire You more than we desire anything here on earth. You see, fasting is a way for us to call out to the Lord and say, you know, We thank you for this life that you have given to us. We thank you for this daily bread. But man does not live by bread alone. And so we come to you. We offer before you our very lives. Knowing that you are the one that we need. You are the strength and the power that is going to change this world. Again, so often we get caught up in what we can do. In the strength and the power that we have to see change come about in this world. And yes, the Lord is gracious to us and gives us talents and gives us abilities to go forth and see things change. But the reality is that the world will not be healed until Christ returns. It's not going to be by our power and our might that this world is renewed. It's going to be by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must learn how as Christians to follow the path of humility and lowliness and weakness through fasting and the other spiritual disciplines, so that in our weakness, the power of Christ comes forth. We desire the Lord Jesus to return in power, and therefore the bride will fast until the bridegroom returns. You see, there are times and seasons in which fasting is not appropriate. But right now we are waiting We are waiting for our bridegroom to return. And so we will not fast in heaven. So you have a short period of time that you can do it. Right? Just a little bit of time. And then the Lord will be back. We'll be done. All right. There is much more that we could look at in God's Word, but I think those two passages from Matthew, Matthew 6 and Matthew 9, give to us an understanding of that we are expected to fast, And the reason we are expected to fast is because we are seeking the power of the Lord both now and at His return. So what are some purposes for fasting? Well, very quickly, I can't go through all of them uh, because I want to leave some time for 
Pastor Ron to give a little bit of a testimony about fasting and answer any questions that you might have. So just very quickly, some uh, different ways that I see fasting employed through God or in God's word. First is to strengthen us in prayer. You probably have heard that phrase, uh, seeking the Lord with prayer and fasting, right? They tend to go together. And when we fast, uh, the type of fast that we call you to as, uh, as a body that we're calling you to is one in which we engage in prayer together. You'll see on that sheet that we are praying um, each uh, for the first Tuesday of each month, the fast that we do is on the first Tuesday of each month with a particular purpose that is written down there for you on that handout. And we gather from 12 to 1 o'clock because that's lunchtime and we're hungry. We gather in the chapel and we pray towards that purpose that we are seeking that month. You combine prayer and fasting together. We see that throughout God's Word. Second, we fast for guidance. Throughout God's word, we see his people seeking the face of the Lord for guidance and wisdom and what they are to do, and they do it through fasting. If you need guidance in your life, offering to the Lord a fast may be the very thing that you need to move forward. Third, an expression of grief. There are times in our lives when we are so overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world and we so desire the return of Christ that it's appropriate for us to fast, to mourn, to weep. And we see this throughout God's word. Even we read in 2 Samuel, it says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for those of the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David and his men fasted because they had lost their king, their best friend, countrymen in battle. Fourth, to seek deliverance, protection, and healing. Throughout God's word, we see that as we seek the Lord's protection in our lives and healing, that fasting is an appropriate way of calling out to Him. Again, a step of faith in our weakness that the Lord would strengthen us. Fifth, repentance. Joel chapter 2, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. If there is a particular sin in your life that you have been seeking deliverance from, Fasting is a wonderful way, is a powerful way of returning to the Lord and calling out to Him. Six, growth in humility and maturity. It wasn't until I was in college that I was introduced to this practice of fasting. And I will tell you that looking at the lives of college students that began to engage in this practice... I haven't seen any other way in which somebody has matured more quickly spiritually than fasting. Uh, It's very easy to assume that things are going okay in your spiritual life, to just go along with the crowd, but not to grow it all in your own spiritual walk. But when you fast, all of your protections are taken away. And you begin to see revealed in you how sinful you really are. Uh, It's amazing how cranky you can get when you miss a meal. And you realize, it's not that I'm not eating that's making me cranky. I am a sinful person. 
and I can cover that up with food. But when that food's taken away, I got to deal with this because either I'm just going to be mean to everybody or the Lord's going to change me. Seven, overcoming temptation that's in conjunction with repentance. Number five, maybe I should change their order there. Um, Again, as we seek to overcome temptation, uh, fasting is a wonderful way of of subduing our flesh. And finally, as we've already said, an expression for love of God and the return of Christ. That we would seek uh, the Lord in our lives through fasting, through prayer, seeking for Him to move. So those are some different ways, that uh, reasons why we might fast. Now, um, real quickly, let's see what I want to do first here. You know what? First, I'm going to uh, hand it over to Ron for a quick testimony about this in his life. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay down some very concrete things and calling you guys to a fast. All right, so I'm going to let Ron take over for a minute. Then I'm going to take back over and finish this up. Thank you, David, so very much. Um, Humility, love, His power in weakness. In being with the Lord for 40 years now and being an ordained pastor for just over 20 years, humility, love, His power in my weakness does really lend itself to joy, peace, unity, and fruitfulness. However... I know that as a man, uh, I need to be a husband and father that lives out the fruit of the Spirit consistently. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I know that as a family person, and I'm speaking with my husband and my son, but also with all of you as my brothers and sisters, that I do need to trust the Lord with those whom I love. Without question. I know what it is to need to be about casting my anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. He cares for me. And I also know that in the church as a pastor and a brother that I must trust the Lord to do what only He can do that I want to try to do myself sometimes. But that is for the Lord to change your hearts for kingdom purposes, for your own health and well-being. And so that is the backdrop of my first experience with corporate fasting that actually just started to occur this past summer with David's leadership, Pastor David's leadership. You know, for 40 years and 20 years as a pastor, I've attempted fast, but only as a lone ranger. I didn't have the encouragement of people around me kind of saying, we're going to do this together for the glory of the Lord. And so with David and the pastor studying this and then inviting our staff to join We've had some wonderful uh, focus beginning in August where we all uh, joined together for 24 hours and praying for family. Hear that, how it corresponds to my need. Then in September, we really prayed for repentance, not only for ourselves, but for all of us together, that we would turn from sin and turn to Jesus and life and for peace and for joy, again, for fruitfulness. And then in October, we have been praying for Uh, revival in the body of Christ. And so the joy of us doing this together is that with some things that I have carried as anxiety in terms of your health and your well-being, the fruit of this church, I really feel like that in fasting the Lord has taken it upon Himself 
and it's not on my shoulders. What joy that is. And to know that corporately we join together and it's great for Pastor David to send me a text in the middle of the afternoon fast right when I'm starting to get a little bit um, uh, maybe driven away from my focus is for him just to text me and say, Ron, stay strong. It's great mutual encouragement of a corporate fast. It's wonderful, but it also makes me realize that, that as we trust the Lord uh, with all these matters before us, He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God can do amazing things. And yet, if we humble ourselves and we walk in love, And in our weakness, we trust His power. And part of that is in prayer and in fasting. Ah, Wonderful things unfold. So that's been my experience this past summer. A testimony to the goodness of the Lord. Thank you, David. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Appreciate that. So, the last couple of minutes here. What does this mean? Well, if you pull out that sheet that you got, if you didn't get one, Find one. They are on the line. We put them online. They look like this. Gives you the definition that we went over, some biblical background, purposes, and then some practical advice for short-term fasting. Now, again, we can fast for longer than 24 hours, but what we are asking you to do when we talk about fasting, when we call for a fast, when we do a monthly fast, is 24 hours, which means, practically speaking, You finish your dinner at 5.30. The next day, you eat your dinner at 5.31. Now, you don't have to be that legalistic. But don't eat your dinner at 12 midnight and and then the next day eat your dinner at 2. Right? So that's not 24 hours. But what we're saying is a 24-hour period. You eat dinner. You go to sleep. You wake up. You skip breakfast. You skip lunch. You have dinner later on in the evening. And during that breakfast and lunch time, you spend time praying. Praying towards a specific purpose. And so we have uh, here for you this uh, outline. So the next fast coming up, that, uh, as Pastor Ron alluded to, the pastors have been engaged in this for the last several months. We asked the staff to become a part of this as well. And the staff has been joining in with us as they can. Uh, and what we do is, We meet together at 12 o'clock in the prayer chapel and we pray towards each of these ends. So in November on the 5th, we're going to be praying for the lost, both generally the lost that are in our community, but particularly in our own lives, those who are in our families and in our neighborhoods, our friends that we are seeking to see the Lord do a mighty work in their lives and save them. We want to take this day to fast that they might come to know the Lord. Right? And so we are asking all those who are able to engage in this practice. Again, if there's any questions, please call your doctor. Make sure that this is going to medically be okay. But for most of us, you'll be okay. Right? Your body was designed to go a lot longer than 24 hours without food. You can handle it. I have some specifics there for how you, can, uh, how you can do it in a healthful way, in a way that isn't so horrible uh, that you're going to be suffering the whole time through. But, uh, but even in, in those details, the main thing is to 
Fast with a purpose. Fast with the purpose of coming to know the Lord. Now, if, again, if fasting from food is off the table, you can't do it. There's a medical reason. There's no shame in that. You can't, don't feel bad about that. You can join with us still. You can be creative. Fasting from media is a good thing to do. Maybe from indulgences. Your doctor says that you need to eat. He didn't say you need to eat Oreos, right? <laughs> so you can, you can say, you know what, and maybe even ask your doctor, you know, yes, I know I'm not supposed to fast. Our church is asking us to engage in some way in this. What, what could I eat and what, should I, or what can I avoid? But you can join with us. Join us in prayer uh, and be a part of this. If you can make it, come to the chapel uh, on Tuesday at lunchtime and join us in prayer. What we will try to do is to, con- to be uh, continually reminding you of what's coming up, of keeping this uh, schedule updated for you, for your access, as well as reminding you from uh, on Sunday mornings uh, about what the upcoming fast will be about. But in a couple weeks, November 5th, not Thanksgiving, November 5th, we're going to be seeking the Lord on behalf of the lost through prayer and fasting. So before we leave, we have uh, a few minutes. If anybody has any specific questions, questions about fasting, I'd love to answer those. Pastor Mike's in the back. He has a mic. Um, And Pastor Brett is up in the... uh, in the balcony. So, if you have a question, you can just raise your hand and we'll get the mic to you. Did you really say coffee? Coffee. The question is, can you drink coffee? Look, I, I'm not going to be legalistic. I'll tell you this. Uh, two fasts ago, I had a horrible headache. I hate fasting. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> it really is. No, it's great. I love it. Do it. All of you. Engage in it. I always get a headache. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, man, I gotta have a cup of coffee. So I drank a cup of coffee. Um, and yeah, I didn't put like, you know, you don't put all like the cream and the sugar and everything in there. Black coffee, honestly, it made it worse because it woke my stomach up and my stomach is like, oh, it's time to eat. Um, so again, I, if you, if like, you're like, man, I, I'm going to die if I don't have coffee, you won't. But if you think that you are, um, I mean, you can torture yourself and drink a cup and be hungry. Um. That's my that's my advice. I've done it. I've drank coffee and and it was not so good. And, okay. And related to that, um, when I have those little jolts of pain, that's my immediate cue to pray. And I thought that maybe the enemy would be attacking me, but every time I felt some discur- discomfort, I used that as a moment and a reminder to pray. And there was joy and not attack. There you go. So, so very good. Even with coffee. So that's right. Or without it. <laughs> Any other questions? Ask anything? Yeah. Would there be a difference when we say it's a day we want to start in the morning morning Yeah, yeah. I mean so yeah, so what we're trying to do is so the question was is what if you don't wanna uh, what if you wanna skip uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner consecutively? Uh, it, that that's fine. That would be a 36-hour fast. Or you, I guess you could eat breakfast and then skip lunch, dinner, and eat breakfast. I, that's we're not really trying to get into like this is exactly how we're doing it. We're just kind of outlining 
generally what is good practice. And again, even, even the thing about only drinking water, that's what I'm encouraging you towards. But if you're like, there's no way, or I just can't fathom that, you know, maybe drink some juice or something. But what, what we're, the goal to which we're trying to go is to uh, a true fast, a fast where it's just water. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Any other questions? Yes. Is the problem in Isaiah 58 that they were fasting with the wrong motives and they weren't doing the right thing? Because in there it says, this is the fast that I choose right. to loose the bonds of wickedness. To, you know, right, yeah, that. exactly. Um, so, yeah, of course, uh, in, in Isaiah 58, the fast that the Lord chooses is a fast that has purpose behind it. Uh, and so we would uh, seek not to only just be inward looking with our fasting, which is really easy. Right When you're fasting, to really just think about yourself. But to be outward looking and think, how can this fast be, uh, be life-giving to other people? So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Yes, in the back, George. Is there a minimum age that, that we should say that if the family, if the parents are fasting, what about the children? As far right. as what is the, should the practice or this be there? Yeah, uh, I think a lot, that's going to depend from child to child. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I'll just continue to say, ask your doctor, right? I'm going to continue to go to that. Uh, I bet that there are some of you here who, as punishment, had to be, miss a meal when you were young. Maybe not. I, I'm, <laughs> I haven't forced my kids to fast yet, so I take that. I, but I think that once, you know, once you get to um, teenage years, it, even just skipping a meal, just say, hey, we're going to skip, we're going to skip lunch. Uh, we'll have dinner and you eat breakfast, skip your lunch. And there were times when I was in high school, I forgot to pack my lunch. You know, I didn't die. Um, and so I think that slowly engaging them in a way, ask your pediatri- pediatrician if you have worries about their weight, uh, uh, about their growth. But, uh, again, we're, we're not talking long periods of time. We're just talking enough to feel the effects of it, to seek the Lord in prayer. So, uh, kids, watch out. Does that answer your question, George? Yeah. So, again, use wisdom. Talk to your doctor. Your kids, they can handle a lot more than you might think they can. I was working. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't work. And, uh, and it said light exercise. And since it's on Tuesday, I don't play pickleball. But, <laughs> don't want to miss pickleball for a fast. <laughs> right. But I, I'm wondering about exercise because I think um, that's important. I just wondered about that because, like, for us who are retired, we, we go to play, you know, we do certain exercises, and I like to be able to do that. I'm just wondering, from your background experiences, I've only done it once. Right. How much exercises, exercise can you, you know, like walking? There wouldn't be any problem with walking. No, no, no. So like, what, vigorous exercise you want to avoid. So basically what, I, what I've found is that if I'm just doing a 24-hour fast, that uh, after I break the fast, the next day I'll be a, a little bit weak, but I'm fine to work out. Um, when I've done more prolonged fasts, the, it just takes longer to recover. But you're not, I mean, you know, 
I'm not a medical doctor. I say that a million times. I am a doctor, but I'm not a medical doctor. So, so trust me on spiritual things, not medical things. But um, actually, sometimes fasting, from what I understand, is an, a great opportunity for your body to heal. Uh, because it's not taking all the energy to digest food, your body will go into a certain uh, function in which it begins to bring some healing and restoration and rest to itself. And so... It's a great, I mean, your body needs time to recover from whatever exercise you're doing. So I wouldn't worry. I, a 24-hour fast isn't going to interfere with your exercising at all. Anything else? <laughs> yes, Eva, what you got for me? You can hug me. Come on. <laughs> all right, go on back. All right. <laughs> no, you cannot hug me. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you can hug Mike. Uh, yeah. I just want to say in regards to children, yeah. that the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of your children. So you don't force them to do something you know, like this, but you, you invite them in and teach them. And you'll be surprised at what children you know, will do or agree to because the Holy Spirit is working in them. Um, so yeah. that, And also, if you're at a point where you're like, there's no way I could ever do this. I've never done this. That's exactly where Jesus wants you to be because now you're completely dependent on him. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so call back to voluntary. If your children are fasting involuntarily, uh, that's not good. <laughs> um, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, and, and again, if you are feeling like that, you know, the, uh, the pastors, uh, they all have practical experience now. Um, much of the staff has practical experience with this. I've done, I've done this, uh, um, I've done a lot of fasting and I've done it very poorly at some point, uh, unwise ways, and I've done it well sometimes. Uh, and so if you need some practical advice on how to get started and what to do and what not to do, uh, I would be more than willing to talk to you uh, about that uh, and give you good direction. All right, I think we have time for one more question. We do not have any more time. Yeah, we probably need to head, head on. All right. They're, they're lining up to get in to hear Pastor Shane preach. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you now at this time, and we thank you, Lord, that you call us to weakness, that you are not calling us to see your kingdom come through our power, but that it will be through your power and our weakness. And so may we seek you through the means that you have called us to. Lord, I pray that when it comes to fasting, all that is of wisdom and is of your word that was spoken of uh, in this time would be established and stick with us and all that is from the world and of uh, not of wisdom, Lord, that it would go to the wayside. We pray, Father, that you would establish this church, establish Rivermont, Lord, in these practices that we might not find our hope and our strength in ourselves, but in you and your spirit. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.